0: Cable only gives you upload speeds that are a fraction of their downloads. Only Fios gives you equal upload and download speeds. Click the banner to get 150 meg internet, TV, and phone for only $79.99 per month online for one year. Get Fios and harness the full power of the internet. You're locked into Inception Radio Network, Superior, Wisconsin.
1: You're tuned in to Night Vision Radio. Exposing the truth one secret at a time. Prepare yourself as we explore the shadow worlds of suppressed history, secret knowledge, forbidden religion. And shine a light on the conspiracies to keep it all from us. Let me pop. It's Welcome to Night Vision Radio. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Night Vision Radio. I'm Renee Barnett. As you probably know, you just heard. And I just want to say hello to all my friends, particularly in the UK, particularly my friends in London, Just want to let you know that we're standing with you here, obviously, your friends in the United States, and we love you all. Take care of yourselves, and um, we're feeling your pain with you this evening, but we also feel your resolve and the many uh, wonderful heroic acts that we saw yesterday performed by regular citizens, by members of parliament, and others. We just want to say that we wish you uh, peace and happiness, and we're standing right here with you in, in this whole thing. We're all in this together. All right. Having said that, uh, I want to remind people that in May, uh, I'm going to be going to France uh, with Cassandra Van Zant. She's known as the ET communicator, and you guys, a lot of you know that I regularly take groups to France, uh, to the Rennes-le-Chateau, rennes le area, uh, to look at all the historical sites and to discover the mysteries there in the landscape and the history, the stories, the Templars, the oh my goodness, the, the stories of Jesus and Mary Magdalene having been in that area, all that good stuff. And uh, but I've never been there on a tour where we're concentrating on some of the UFO events that have happened in that region, particularly a- around the mysterious Mount Bugarash. It seems like there's always a mysterious mountain, isn't there? We got one coming up tonight too. But I want to remind you about that. And if you want more information on that trip, uh, go to Cassandra Van vanzant com. And check it out. There's a little bit of information. There'll be a lot more detail uh, to those who will actually be on the tour or expressing uh, real interest in it. Uh, We just didn't want to put everything on the website. So there's a lot more information to be had. But at least you get a flavor and an idea. And those of you that know about Cassandra know that she's amazing. It's pretty strange and wonderful what she does. I don't know... uh, Exactly how that works, but it's it's quite amazing. You may have seen her on um, Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura, which is where I first met her. I was working uh, as a producer on that show, and was actually the one to uh, bring Cassandra on. I hadn't heard of her before that, but met her during the course of that production. Really interesting stuff. So we're going to incorporate all the history and the mystery, but we're also going to be incorporating uh, UFO activity in the area and also the ancient alien connection there. So that's in May. Check it out now. Deadline's going to be coming up before you know it, so please join us. We're going to try to keep the tour relatively small so that we can have a real experience uh, with each other. So please uh, let me know on Facebook if you need more information, or contact Inception, they'll get the message to me. All right, well, without further ado, going to get into another mysterious mountain, one that's a little bit closer for those of us here in America, in the New World, but nevertheless, very, very interesting, and one that has drawn so many people over the years, the decades, and and even centuries now, to it. We're talking, of course, about Mount Shasta in Northern California. My guest tonight is an avid researcher who's been following his passion, uh, not only about Mount Shasta, but about history and ancient civilizations, a subject that we all love, or subjects, I should say, that we all love. And to help me out tonight uh, is our good friend, recurring night uh, vision guest, Court Lindell. He's an author and a researcher, and he and Stephen have been actually sharing uh, information back and forth, and um, you guys know that I have Court on fairly regularly, and he and I do a lot of talking about uh, research into these areas, and Court's come up with some amazing stuff, so I think it's going to be some real good uh synergy here going on tonight as court helps me out in a subject that he's much more familiar admittedly than i am about so tonight welcome to you steven sindoni how are you
2: okay we'll start by saying it's Stephen sindoni after my mother crossed i decided that i had to go by Stephen. it's p-h-e-n not e-v-e-n and i feel better That's with the right. new vibration
1: <laughs> oh well good uh, well thanks for correcting me you know i like it better myself um, well,
2: you know, it's funny. The first day of school, I'll start with uh, the teacher said, uh, Stephen Sendoni, would you please stand up? And I didn't stand up. And they go, Well, <laughs> Stephen. Finally, she did it. She did the roll call to everybody. She said, That's you. I go, No, I'm Stephen. She says, No. Well, how's your name spelled? I told her, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. She says, No, phonetically, it's Stephen. So I go home, tell my mom and dad. And my mom says, Your name is Stephen. It's out of the Bible. And I'm your mother. You listen to me. So. After my mom crossed, finally I said, you know what? It's time I step into my power. So I recently stepped into my power. Mom, I love you, but I had to go with with the vibration, go with the flow. But I want to thank you for having me on the program tonight. And what I'll be sharing with you and all of your listeners is a story about a man who introduced himself to the editor of the Stockton Record newspaper in 1934. The man introduced himself as J.C. Brown, and he claimed that Thirty years earlier in 1904, while working as a geologist for the Lord Cow J Mining Company of England, he discovered an ancient race of giants living in the bowels of the mountains in the Cascade Mountain Range in Northern California. So, after reading this story from a book entitled Mount Shasta Magic Mountain, written by author Emily A. Frank, I instantly became fascinated by the tale of giants. So I jotted down all the clues from the legend that I learned by reading this short excerpt from the book. And I decided I was going to spend two weeks at the New York Public Library to try and see if I can solve this mystery.
1: So well, you uh, know, uh, before we go any further, and, and this is a, a great story, and I can't wait to hear more detail. I've you know been studying up on it a little bit, but I know there's so much more that I haven't heard. Uh, let's say hi to Court. And, uh, Court, you're up there in that area. You're not far from Mount Shasta.
3: Yes, it's about a three-hour drive away, and I've been up there a few times in the last year or so uh, collecting footage for my series, Mysteries and Legends of Northern California, which includes just the bare bones of the J.C. Brown story. Now, so you I'm can excited. see that on
1: on YouTube? On Yes. And, and also, Stephen, you have... Uh, a film on YouTube, and also I've seen other uh, uh, other recordings of other uh, things that you've done, other shows and other interviews and things that can be found on YouTube. For those that want to delve into this, once you start hearing this story, you're probably going to want to look into it a little bit more, I'm predicting. But, uh, so Stephen, uh, go ahead with your story. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just wanted to bring Court in right well, away. Well, that's fine. I'll say, hello to court
2: is, <laughs> I'll say hello to Court as well. after I. The court finally tracked me down after a couple of years. I think he was trying to get a hold of me. Finally, uh, I dropped my guard, and I, I saw some of his uh, YouTube videos, and I was like totally impressed in his research. And there was uh, a dovetail there between what I had been researching and what he had been finding out. And there's no way we're on two sides of the United States that two guys who aren't even connected you know, would have su- sort of similar information and so I contacted him, and a couple of days later, matter of fact, I just uh, got done. We we interviewed, matter of fact, over Skype, and just today I put up a video on my uh, website, com that uh, showcases Court, but we also talk about specifically the legend and uh, the connection between the things that he learned and the things that I had uncovered about it. So I think anybody who wants. More information based on what I'm going to share tonight can go to my website and there'll be more on that in the next month or so. I'm going to put a lot more out about the legend of J.C. Brown because I'm going to preface it with this. This story is a real story. that was a newspaper of a man who shows up in the newspaper and claims that he found remnants of giants that predate Native Americans in Northern California. Now, if this is true, that means that it predates the Bible story. It also predates uh, this Bering Strait story. And it, sh- and it also blows away the creation story, the Judeo-Christian uh, uh, story, because the Native Americans, uh, friends of mine are Native Americans, and they said when, when they were put into uh, these uh, boarding schools, they threw all sorts of Bibles at them, and they told them, pick one. We don't care which one you pick, but you have to pick one. So my friend Billy, I'll use his name, Billy, the chief of one of the tribes, said to me, he goes, look, we've tried them all. They don't work for us. (laughs) So when someone doesn't fit the paradigm, what do you do? Well, you make things hard for them. And there's 320 reservations around the United States right now. Just every reservation is either a fort or there's a prison. And uh, so these people have been suppressed, and they've been stripped of their oral histories and traditions because if what they say is true, and like the Bible in Genesis says, in the beginning there were giants, okay, so you tell me there's giants, tell me more. But they tell you very little. But every time somebody finds something, the Smithsonian hurries up and gets there and dumps it into the ocean. So I'm well, here to what tell do you. What do you
1: think that would be? You know, I, I've heard that so many times, and we do hear about discoveries having been made... Uh, in history, I don't know about any super recently, but certainly in the 1920s and in 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 various places uh, around the world. Why wouldn't they want that to be known? What would it be that Control. they were trying to suppress? Control, Control of what?
2: Control of the existing paradigm. The whole system would collapse if. I'll give you an example. We'll use religion. But why for would
1: the example. whole system collapse if there were, if we knew that, yes, there had been giants at one time? Well, here's why it would collapse. Just like we know because that there were giant animals like dinosaurs, I'll, you know, I'll, what I'll would give be you the big exa- deal? I'll,
2: except, no, yeah, go ahead. Now I'm let, sorry. Me give you, let me give you an example. Here's an example. You have all these churches, all these dominant denominations are given tax free status, and they're told what to do with their parishioners, how to vote, what to do, whatever. And when they need them to come out, they feel obligated because they get this write-off. Now, all these religions, right? All these religions, every one of them, are giving 10% of their tithing, so to speak, to the church, right? Now, the church is the richest uh, richest people in the world. You know, they own the most properties around the world. Since the 12th century, they've been going around in crusades, and court can jump in any time he wants. Under the guise of religion, they steal all the property. Even today, the banks... You don't own the property. You only own title of a piece of paper. And your money in the bank, let's say you have Renee a thousand dollars. The bank is only in uh by law to keep ten to fifteen percent of that money when they can lend out the rest of your money. But if you try to go in, everybody went in at the same time, they lock the doors and say there's no money here, you guys are gonna have to come back for your money and then they would try to persuade you to keep it there. So this is about controlling the Benjamin. And if you can control the Benjamin you can control the people.
1: Hmm. All right. So what, what do we know about uh, about this story of giants? And well, you're talking you about the Cascades. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about Shasta.
2: Right, yes. Yeah. In, the, in the Emily A. Frank book, uh, it's prefaced as the Cascade Mountain Range. But anybody who knows the Cascade Mountain Range, and, and Court can jump in here, is anywhere from... Uh, Mount Rainier all the way down to uh, Shasta and a little below that where they have the, the right, other mountain Right,
3: yeah. It actually starts right here uh, at Chico, where I live. Gotcha.
1: Mm-hmm. Is where it the is a big range, de- isn't it?
3: Right, and then Mount Lassen is just to the north of here, <clears throat> and that's the furthest south of all the shield volcanoes of uh, the Cascade Range. So what's really interesting about what Stephen is getting to here, too, is kind of uh, the similarities to the European man in the mountain myths uh, that stem from Charlemagne and are kind of elements of those present in other kind of interesting stories like Oak Island, uh, Bacon's Vault in Williamsburg, and other lost treasure stories uh, in the United States including the lost Egyptian site of the Grand Canyon that have a lot of similarities to the story of J.C. Brown that Stephan is uh, talking about.
1: Now, isn't the Grand Canyon one of the locations where at one time they were purported to have found um, remnants of giants?
3: Yes, in an Egyptian site there, That has yeah. some elements in common with what the story Stefan is going to tell us about J.C. Brown and what he found at Mount Shasta.
1: Ooh, okay. Stefan, let's hear it. Okay, well, first I'm going to go
2: into the actual legend itself. And this is uh, from the Stockton Record. It's a 1934 n- newspaper article that J.C. Brown had given the reporter at the time. He gave the editor. So... The original tale, tale was told uh, to the representative and here's uh, his, his, uh, what it says. It says, J.C. Brown claims that he found this cave while working in the Cascade Mountains for the Lord Cow Mining Company of England. He noticed a section of the rock in the face of the cliff which did not jibe with the information of the formation of the rail of the mass. He entered into a tunnel after removing the rock, And after entering the tunnel, it curved downward. Three miles from the mouth of the tunnel, which is about seven feet wide and ten feet high, he struck a cross section containing gold-bearing ore. Further on, he struck another cross section where this ancient race had apparently mined copper. He talked about the air in this section being very bad, and uh, he said the decline continued and went for 11 miles inside the mountain. And approximately 2,300 feet from the surface, he struck what he called the village. Now, what's interesting about this? In this village, he said he found two rooms that were 12 by 20 feet, and they were filled with copper and gold tablets, about three or four inches in concave, and they were laid inside one another. The rooms were literally full of three plates inscribed neatly. Another room contained weapons, the tempered copper spears were ones he couldn't even bend, and they didn't even have the capability a you know, hundred years ago to, to create this sort of weaponry. So he then found streets laid out there like a village, and that's why he called it a village, and in one long room he was, that was laid out to the wall, he found 27 skeletons, the smallest of which was 6 feet 6 inches, and the tallest was over 10 feet tall. In another room he He found, and this is an interesting part, he found embalmed by some secret process, the bodies of a man and a woman dressed in royal robes, which he believed were the king and queen of this race.
1: Mm. Now, you said the 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 smallest one was six foot six. Was it, there any speculation or any um, evidence that that was that could have been a a young uh, person of that race?
2: No, he didn't, you know, he didn't say if they were young, but you know, that was the average height of these uh, tall ones who, uh, who lived uh, underneath the bowels of uh, what I believe to be Mount Shasta.
1: Was there anything else distinguishable about the, I, I would imagine it was all skeletonized, or were they mummified?
2: Well, the king and queen were, were, were mummified, but all the others mm. were skeletons.
3: And they went in,
2: uh, you know, in a, in eight robes. So they had to be royalty of some sort, of that, or king and queen, is what he believed.
3: Wow! All right. That's, that's interesting how it all ties into the legends of uh, Telos beneath Mount Shasta. Yes. And even kind of matches many of the the Native American myths of Mount Shasta that's exactly as well.
2: Exactly right. I when I was in California, I uh, I met with Diane Robbins, who channels. Uh, I believe, Adama and some others in the mountain, and uh, she wrote a number of books, and I did a narration with her. And what I, I spent like three days with her, and what I, I come to find out is that her information was coming from a civilization that lived underneath the mountain, and they were giving her spiritual messages to help humanity evolve. And uh, so the, the mind is like a parachute. It only works if it's open. So I was open-minded to what I was learning, because I'm looking for hard evidence. I'm a kind of guy who was a see-it-feel-it-touch-it sort of a guy. But I went from a see-it-feel-it-touch-it guy to someone who became more of a spiritualist based on what I learned actually going out and seeking to find evidence for this uh, legend and to prove it as a reality. Because I knew if I can prove this as a reality, that would help everyone understand that we have to drop the veil of what's happening right now and be able to see the forest through the trees in order for us to evolve in our journey to get on to the next level because we're all here to experience. But if we are controlled, and this is a prison planet, so to speak, then we're limited in what we're going to actually be able to do. So what we need to do is to take the control back in order to be able to fellowship with one another because really what it's about, Renee and Court, it's about fellowship and being in service to one another. And a lot of people don't get it until they're ready to cross over. Oh, wait, wait a minute, you know, what did I do with my life? So and, and you know, who did I help? Well, you know, what was my contribution? So my mission or my contribution in this lifetime and this embodiment is to be able to tell people, hey, you know, we all went to school now, we all learned reading, writing, and arithmetic. But then there was the other half of what we learned, which is we got conned, we were conditioned, and we were controlled to believe certain things just to believe them. And I find it, to me, upsetting when someone tries to force me, feed me something, and I say, hold on, I'll trust, but I've got to go and verify this. I've got to come back, and I'll check this out, and I'll come back, and I'll give you what I think. So I don't accept things blindly, I look at things for what they are, and either it's fact or it's fiction, but I I, I tend to lean towards the fact, because if someone's lying, they've got to tell that lie over and over and over the same way each and every time, and nobody can do that.
1: <laughs> well, you know... You you mentioned uh, Diane Robbins just just a moment ago, uh, and she's um, someone that we've had on this show before. And she talks about the telos, the idea of telos, and the hollow earth idea. And do you have what you have found, or what you believe um, that your evidence is leading to? Is it something similar to what Diane talks about?
2: Absolutely, there is. There is a, a civilization underneath the mountain, and there are lenticular clouds that, that will hover over the mountain for days. And uh, there are ships, their motherships that that are above the mountain. There's openings where ships go in, and I've seen uh, lenticular clouds open up and and reveal to me like a fleet of smaller ships, uh, saucers, if you will you know, flying uh, into the mountain, uh, places in the mountain. So I've seen some things, I'm privileged to see some things that I know exist. So I know that there are things going on in that mountain that cannot be explained by uh, conventional science.
1: Yeah, I've seen some of those pictures. In fact, I posted one today uh, on Facebook uh, that is an amazing photograph of Mount Shasta with this crazy lenticular cloud that just—it looks like a flying saucer itself, uh, but it's amazing looking. Those those clouds are just uh, really strange looking when you do see them. You don't see them very often, but maybe they see them a little more often at Mount Shasta than other places. Well, they're so, there. there, like I said. And uh, people people
2: who who are spiritual or people that are open-minded—they're the ones that are going to turn their heads because most people won't even look up if a helicopter goes by, but people who are, uh, who are spiritually inclined will look up and be inquisitive, and they might get you know, uh, an experience out of it or communicate out of it because that's what they really want to do. They, you know, they're, they're there uh, to oversee what's going on on this planet.
1: And And why? for what purpose?
2: Well, we are their experiment. You know, uh, we are all uh, here. I get into this area, but we are all we are all test tube design A lot of the, you know, you look at the the people around the world. Everybody has their creation stories, and they all have their flood stories, which are quite similar. Yeah. And they all have their giant stories. You go to the uh, the Vedas in India, or you you have in China talking about how the emperor arrived on a on a dragon spaceship or whatever. You go to Israel, you have the uh, you know uh, the Tower of Babel and other things where it was uh Sinai where it was landing uh you uh, know landing strips for uh alien craft to come. You had Zachariah Sitchin talking about the the that aspect of it. You have the Mayans, the Incas, so everybody has their take about who 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 their creator was. if you ask the Native Americans, which is what I rely on a lot, you know they talk about uh that they came from a different star system were brought here. And they were brought inside the mountains, all these mountains they were brought inside of until the deluge, the flood was over. And then the, the alien grays they, uh, brought them out, and uh, they've been out ever since. But they know of the, uh, of the alien grays, and they are what I will call uh, the watchers. So they're here to watch. And me and I want this area. I'm, I'm going to finish the story if I may. I was in Tacoma, Washington, and I was with the chief and some other people uh, there, and they asked me if I would sweat with them in the sweat lodge. So I did. And in the third round of sweating, this gets very hot in there, and everybody was going into their, uh, their dream state by that point. So I went into mine, about the third stage. And what I experienced was an alien gray standing there about six feet from me, and just staring at me and trying to probe me. And when I realized what was happening, I quickly like just went back to my normal state, and I excused myself from that sweat session, which was the third one, grabbed some Gatorade, and I didn't really want to tell anybody uh, what I just experienced. So after that, one of my friends, we, we talked, after I left the sweat lodge, and we talked about it, and I talked about what experience I had, and then my friend Billy, who was one of the chiefs, him and I talked about it. He goes, yeah, he goes, uh, we are very close with the Greys, and they talked about Bigfoot and uh, Bigfoot being interdimensional and whatever. And then we got into the tall ones. And this is what piqued my interest. He said, you're supposed to know this. So I said, okay, tell me. So we took a walk around the development where I was, and he told me that his, his grandfather and his father – would see the tall ones who would, they would be up and going up and down canoeing on the Nisqually River there in Tacoma. So I said, "Well, what did they look like, Billy?" He said, "They looked like us. They looked like Native Americans. They had black hair, but they were a lot taller." I says, "Well, how tall were they?" He says, "Well, seven to ten feet tall." What did they wear? They wore buckskin clothing. So I got the story about who predated them here in North America. So for me, it was a blessing to get some of this from them. And then stories about uh, Bigfoot being in uh, the Sokomish National Forest where another chief had his uh, home, and he had a smoker where he was smoking salmon. And Bigfoot came and took off with his salmon. So he goes, oh, wow, he goes, goes, I'm not going to have any dinner tonight. So what he did was he created a smoker with a plexiglass top so that way, Bigfoot, when he came, not only could he see the salmon, but he could see that if it was cooked or uncooked, and wait till it was cooked. So he actually built a plexiglass smoker so Bigfoot could eat the food and not steal the food on him.
1: <laughs> you know, um, I've had a chance to spend a lot of time with with Native American tribes. I grew up in Oklahoma. And um, I've done uh, some television documentaries, too, that included uh, a lot of uh, Native Americans and different tribal members. And they do talk about Bigfoot. Um, uh, like, they say, oh, it's just another tribe. We don't bother them, and they don't bother us. And it's it, it just so matter-of-factly. And you're right, they do talk about, you know, people from the stars and, and, and that sort of thing, Um And there's a lot of really interesting information that is to be had from from different tribes. You know what? It's time for us to take a break already. I can't believe it. Um, But we've already gone through the first half hour. And when we come back, more from Stephen Sandoni and Court Lindell. When we come back, stay with us, please.
4: Hey, IRN listeners! Make sure you tune in to Night Vision Radio with Renee Barnett. Renee will be exposing the truth one secret at a time. When Thursdays, every Thursday, ten thirty PM Eastern, seven thirty PM Pacific. Where right here on IRN.
0: Hello, Inception Radio Network listeners! Did you miss a show? Well, guess what? You can check us out on YouTube. Go to YouTube and search Inception Radio Network to listen to the latest archives of all the shows on IRN. Another way to listen to us anywhere, anytime. For IRN, this is MJ. And oh yeah, right, right. Remember to subscribe too. Hit the subscribe button. I have a computer? Is your internet connection down? Don't worry. Use your trusty cell phone or landline and call into our listen line at 401-283-6700 to listen to the Inception Radio Network 24-7. Again, that call-in number is 401-283-6700. For the Inception Radio Network, I am MJ.
4: Lori and Fenton here, host of the California MUFON radio show, asking if you'd like special access to exclusive and amazing information about UFOs, the paranormal, and all things unexplained. If you're nodding yes, then join IRN's Insider Club. As an Insider Club member, you'll get an all-access pass to premier Inception Radio Network content for only $4.99 a month.
0: This includes live UFO and paranormal... Cable only gives you upload speeds that are a fraction of their downloads. Only Fios gives you equal upload and download speeds. Click the banner to get 150-meg internet, TV, and phone for only $79.99 per month online for one year. Get Fios and harness the full power of the internet.
4: Princes, live streaming UFO skywatches, exclusive IRN radio and TV productions, and, of course, Paying Radio with MJ and Ken Storch. So don't wait any longer. Visit InceptionRadioNetwork.com and click on Member Login to join IRN, Insider Club and get your VIP access today.
0: You're locked into Inception Radio Network, Superior, Wisconsin.
1: Welcome back to Night Vision. I'm your host, Renee Barnett. If you're just joining us tonight, we have with us researcher Stefan Sindoni. He's telling us all about the mysteries of Mount Shasta. And helping us out with that is our good friend and recurring Night Vision guest, Court Lindell. He's a a great researcher and an author, and he's got crazy great videos out there on YouTube. You should check them out because there's a lot of things uh, in court's research that dovetails uh with with Stephen's research but Stefan, we've been you've been sharing with us earlier about the story uh, of JC Brown and um,
2: right right so after he after he yeah, I'll pick up where I left yeah, off but p- after sharing this story with uh, the newspaper editor the editor says to to JC Brown I'm going to turn you on to uh, Harry Noyes Pratt who's the curator of the Hageman." a memorial museum. So he does and JC Brown meets with him and he's given a list of people who might be interested in the story. Among them was uh, John C Root. He was a retired printer. He lived at 1784 North San Joaquin Street there in Stockton. So Brown it goes with Root to his home and they gradually organize and form an expedition of over 80 people to take up to the Cascade Mountain Range to uh dig the cavern out. So that's really what happens from that point. There's 80 people there, and what uh, J.C. Brown is claiming, that he's going to take these people out there, and he promised to lead them to hidden riches by the lost race of Lemuria. So mm. people now are selling their possessions, they're quitting their jobs, you know, it's like, oh, oh wow, we're gosh. going up. this it's a real big cause, Celebra, this guy was a rock star just coming into town, so to speak, but for six weeks he talked about uh what he had discovered in the tunnel, and he had he covered things up because he didn't want anybody to find his opening, but he told these people if they came with him that what he would do is there was uh some artifacts that they would all get from from that uh discovery, and there were other things that he wanted, but he really wasn't concerned uh about the monetary value. He was more concerned about, you know, the ancient civilization and the history for historical purposes. But the 80 people, they all waited uh, at the six weeks of hearing with uh, J.C. Brown promised them in front of John C. Ruth's home. And he never showed up on the morning of June 19, uh, 1934. The police were called, they did an investigation. The police asked, well, did he take any money? And they said, absolutely not. And uh, they said that he might have stayed in his shelter while he was there. And the reason he told someone was that if they knew that he was a millionaire, you know, then he would have problems. So here is a guy who came up there uh, who's posing as J.C. Brown. Wasn't J.C. Brown, really was uh, a very rich guy. And uh, the morning that he was supposed to take these people up to Mount Shasta, mysteriously, he disappeared and was never heard from again.
1: Never? Never heard from again?
2: Nope. That's easy Until I, uh, until I uh, you know- read the story, and I said, well, there's seven clues that I got from reading the story, in the Emily A. Frank book that anybody could have got. But I said, I'm going to do... One thing I'm going to go to the New York Public Library because they have a ton of information. And the fact that I knew there was a Lord Cowdray Mining Company of England,
4: mm-hmm.
2: the fact that I knew that it was a British company, they were geologists. So I says, well, let me go find out if there was a Lord right? So when I go to the genealogy department of the library, which is funny, I said to the clerk, I says, by the way, do you have Google? He says, yeah. He says, can you Google the Lord Cowdrey Mining Company of England? He does, and all of a sudden, there's a bullseye. There's information on Lord Caldre. So now I was like, I'm on the right track. So from there, I got information about, uh, he was a civil engineer, and there's another library uptown that that I could get his autobiography. So I was going to do that as well. But while I was there, I said, okay, let me go ahead and start looking at border crossings. And I'm looking through border crossings for him. And one of the things uh, that initially was a roadblock was that I didn't know that he was born Sir Wheatman Pearson, and only later on he was knighted to become Sir Lord Cowdery. So when I went to the other library, I was able to find his true identity in the Book of Civil Engineers on the microfilm that I found. And in that book... There was a uh, copy of photos, and I put this up on uh, the U- YouTube video I did today, Court, for you and I on Sidoni C- Says, and I put up the pictures of Lord Cowdery and four other of his lieutenants that helped build the Lord Cowdrey Mining Company of England, which later went on to become Shell Petroleum, or British oh Shell Petroleum. Oh my
1: gosh, wow. Yeah, so- now, did, you said you put it up on YouTube, what did you title it so people can can find it. Oh,
2: I titled it uh, Sindoni Says Talk Radio hyphen guest Court Lindahl.
1: And that's but they and, can and, also you put, uh, and you put that new information on there that you just talked about? Yeah.
2: yeah okay. That new information is there and that's also e- it's easier to find if you go to my website at com and go to my talk radio tab where I now am doing a radio show based on my conversations with court that I decided that I was going to come out of retirement so to speak and discuss these legends especially that I'm having all these uh, things happening to me on a personal level that make no sense whatsoever so I figured I might as well have some fun with this and put out the information that way these young bucks if they want to carry the baton and they want to go looking for stuff uh, And maybe they can help change this existing paradigm before I cross over to the other side.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I hope you're not going anywhere soon.
3: (laughs) Well,
2: I've had some some things, Renee, happen recently that I won't discuss here, but I'll just say that uh, uh, the the, the the present is a gift. So I live in the present. I don't know about tomorrow. I can only live in this moment in time, this given time. So I look at it that way. If the Creator wants me to be here tomorrow, you know, he give me a wake-up call, so that's kind of the way that I look at it now. But I'm I'm excited every day to get up. I have a passion. When you find something you like to do, you'll never work another day in your life. I've got yeah. over a thousand movies on YouTube, and every week I create something different on my com site. People say, "Where do you get it from?" I said, "I'm given the information. I get a download, and I don't say where the download comes from." And they, you know, they give me information. And that's my story for the day, whatever. I just start writing, automatic writing, and things come through. I trust the information I get. Like a detective would say, I got a hunch. Well, every day I get hunches, and hunches turn into videos, or they turn into something, or, or a blog post or something that I think people would need to hear. Because I, I never had a mentor growing up. I didn't have a dad growing up. So I was my own mentor. I had to, you know, go to the school of hard knocks to learn as I went. And everything that I learned, I'm self-taught. And I look at all the things that I've accomplished. I don't have a bucket list. I have an accomplishment list. Because, you know, I've done so many things in my creative career to be proud of that I don't hold my head down. I says, well, if I waited for somebody else to do it, it would never get done. I'll give you a quick analogy. Someone was given the job to bring in the business. Somebody could have done it. But somebody didn't tell anybody because anybody would have done it. But because somebody didn't tell anybody, nobody did it. So Hmm. I'm a one-man band. What I'm saying, Renee, is that I do my own writing. I do my own editing. I do my own filming. I do my own narration. And I'm a final cut guy. and And I'll do a whole production. And I'll go out and I'll take a film crew out if need be and we'll shoot a a movie so these are things that i'm proud of because if i say to my grandson grandson you can do it he turns around says grandpa i've got a a hundred videos already now on youtube so my grandson's 12 years old i said you know what he's got my dna i'm proud of that that i could give him something and he could say i'll run with it and and i'm happy to do that so we have to find our passion whatever it is but when you find it you know, don't let anybody discourage you and tell you you can't do it. No, you can do it because you cannot fail, Rene, at being yourself. So, yes, I'm a researcher, but when I run into a guy like Court, and I'll give Court his kudos, it takes a special individual to sit down, whether it's 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever the time of the day, to sit there in that blank space and say, okay, now I've got to put this to paper so I can write this book or I could do this movie not easy because a lot of people get writer's block so when you have someone like Court who does his due diligence and learns these things and backs things up with facts and information you can actually go to these sites and they exist you know I take my hat off to him because I know what it's like to walk a mile in those shoes and then have people not understand what it takes or not really are in tune to what he's really trying to convey or like what I'm trying to convey here tonight well, about the he, possibilities.
1: You know, it's funny because court and I've had, uh, who knows how many conversations court, how many hours have we spent on Skype, uh, talking, uh, about all this stuff, your research, uh, you know, how it's sort of dovetailed with some of my interests in the films and things that, it, that I've done. And, uh, different ideas and uh, how people seem to, you know, we've met so many wonderful people that have sort of, have found their, like you said, found their passion or their magnificent obsession, you know, but it is, uh, I have to say, because, uh, you know, let's take courts work, for instance, there's, it's such been such in-depth research for a number of years There's so many facts. There's a huge chronology. There's a lot of years and hundreds of years of history that it took quite some time, I have to say. And I don't think I'm a complete idiot. (laughs) You know, I don't think I'm the smartest person in the world, but I'm certainly not the dumbest. And it took quite some time getting my head around it. You know, we've had that conversation, Court how i was kind of yeah. asking you questions and then you would keep talking and then finally it started falling into place but it was because when he was talking about something he had this huge body of information behind it and it just takes a while and so i think um, it's it's really wonderful to have these conversations and especially among researchers because you well, can that's share that's why
2: yeah that's why I'd like to say, interject if I can, you steal some of your thunder. That's why Court and I uh, got together and we're teaming up, and I did the interview with him, and I put it up today on my site, and there'll be a number of others. But what we're planning to do is I'm on the East Coast, but there are things on the East Coast that I could go look at and he can tell me. For example, uh, this is St. Mary's Chapel. Is that correct, Court?
3: Uh, Yeah, the St. Paul's Chapel or some of the other sites there in New York City. Yeah, that actually. yeah. Have a connection to what we're talking about—a distant uh, tradition that extends all the way to Mount Shasta through these uh, family groups and everything that even extend, I think, to the family of uh, J.B. Body or J.C. Brown that you've been talking about.
1: What about well, uh, this Lord like, Caldre yeah. uh, uh, court? I was wondering when he was talking about tracing right. that back to that individual in England. Was there? Did you find any connection? With some of these families, yes. that oh, interesting. Now, how how did that work? What what is the connection? Well, well
3: there, there's the the Caldre name is a Norman uh, name and title in England, and Wheatman Pearson is related to that family group, and that's one reason he got that title when he uh, was awarded that. But uh, Caldre in France is interesting too, because even Pierre L'Enfant, a uh, commander during the Revolutionary War was named Caldre as well. But in my research about uh, the Debody family associated with the Great Cyclic Cross of Day, that uh, a lot of the listeners might know about and that we even discussed here on your show with Jay Widener, uh, there's relations between the Caldre family and the Debody family. And we know all the the kind of interesting connections they have. It would take the whole show to go into that, but I mean, they were the governors of French Acadia, uh, possibly connected with Oak Island. Another deputy was the governor of French Louisiana that actually handed it over to Thomas Jefferson. So all of this value of Mount Shasta uh, comes through these family groups. I mean, even JC Brown was married to Mary Hammer of Stockton the namesake of Hammer Lane in Stockton, but the Hammer family is related to the Bacon family.
1: Oh, my gosh. Of Sir
3: Francis Bacon. So this ties into uh, the information in part four of Mysteries and Legends of Northern California that talks about the influence of the extended Bacon family in the development of the West. And I think subsequently, even the Mysteries of Mount Shasta, I mean, we do even see Sir Francis Bacon being considered one of the Ascended Masters. So that's why it's interesting, the whole legend of J.C. Brown ties into this family group as well uh, via J.B. Boddy, or a.k.a. J.C. Brown. That's definitely Well, if I can out.
2: just add here now, because uh, yeah, you're, you're an you're an analytical guy in court, and I'm going to give you some analytical stuff here, and people who are listening, they can ponder where I went with this. So after I discover Lord Caldre is really Sir Wheaton and Pearson, he's was Knighted. I said, well, now let me go back to the other library. I had the pictures of Lord Cowdery and his four engineers, and I had their names. I said, okay, now let me go and see if I can go and track these guys through any of the borders uh, going into the United States. Because obviously if they're from England, they got to come through some border crossing. And at that time, we have borders like we have now, and they have paperwork to... Uh, to document it. So I go through it and in the legend, in the J.C. Brown legend, he claims in 1904 is when he first came upon this unusual rock basalt foundation. So I go looking and I find that through the Laredo, Texas border that Lord Caldre, J.B. Body, W.E. Sayre and Robert Adams, these are three of Lord Cowdrey's top civil engineers go on uh, the Mexican National Railway steamship into, from Veracruz, Mexico, into Laredo, Texas, and they were all living at the time and working in Mexico City. So there it is, the first tie in. Then, on fur, further research, in 1907, I find that J.B. Body brings in three of his top civil engineers, Fred Kleisner, John McLaughlin, and C.M. Yeomans in with him from Laredo, Texas, and his own personal valet. So he's gotta be pretty rich to have his own personal valet. The guy's name was John Kilmartin. But in nineteen ten, this is what I found very interesting. When John Benjamin Body crosses again the Laredo, Texas border, when asked if he had ever been in the United States on the form, he checks the box no. So this was a red flag to me. Then in nineteen eleven to the Laredo, Texas border again. Who does John Benjamin come over the border with? Lord Cowdray himself. So Lord Caldre now makes two appearances: one in 1904 and another one in 1911. To make a long story short, I was able to track John Benjamin Body coming into the United States twelve times from 1904 to 1933. Wow! So this, to me. And then when I found the photo and the information and the validation of what, what they were doing, and, and Dunsmere, they created a waterworks, because the, there's a glacier, the runoff comes from Mount Shasta. So the city of Dunsmere, all the water comes from a glacier runoff. Somebody had to develop the waterworks project, and I believe J.B. Body and Lord Cowdre were contracted, to bring the water from the glacier of Mount Shasta to the city of Dunsmere. Now, I interviewed a guy uh, for a movie that I haven't released yet, uh, and he was uh, a relation to the Van Fossen family who owned the property there uh, where the Shasta Springs Resort was, where these guys stayed. And now, uh, if, if anybody can look this up, but the Shasta Springs Resort was where the rich went to uh To go in and have a vacation, and there they would drink the sparkling water from the mountain, and they would be there and hobnobbing with the rich and famous. but it was in that area where this waterworks was created, and the water was ultimately uh, you know piped into the city of Dunsmere. but what makes this interesting there is that I met the descendant of uh, van Fossen, and I was at his house he has a house in Dunsmere i I want to mention his name right now, but He, in 2009, was hiking with his daughter on that property. Now, the property is owned by a a, a religious group, we'll say, or a a New Age group. And he wasn't supposed to be on the property. But what happened was, when he came near this rock basalt foundation, it looks like out of an Indiana Jones novel. And when he came near it, a man came out of nowhere, dressed in a white robe over seven feet tall, who spoke in a British accent, who said to him, you have now found the back entrance to Telos. Would you like to come in? Well, him and his daughter were scared. You know, uh, you know, it's to, to, to beyond belief. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, uh, he goes. Uh, thank you, but no, thank you. So as they walk away, the guy mysteriously just disappeared out of nowhere. So he thought so much of of this story, put it up on uh, his website, and he came up from San Francisco to meet with me just to tell me this story in his living room. About it. So
1: what? What year was that?
2: Uh, this happened to him, I believe, in 2008 or 2009, oh, wow. where he actually so that recent. Right. Yeah. So I found this rock formation that he's talking about, so I know exactly where it is. So this was just interesting. So I'm up in in the area at the time. And uh, they do a write-up on me in Mount Shasta Herald uh, newspaper. It uh, was a weekend, I think in 2009, the, the, labor, no, the Memorial, no, yeah, the 4th of July weekend. So I'm in this big write-up, a whole-page write-up, and I was very appreciative of the whole-page write-up, why I was in the area. So I was doing a, a lecturing at the College of the use there in Weed, and I was doing a TV show, local TV show called Legends of Mystery and More at the time. And... I finished up my filming in the summer, like uh, September, and I decided I was going to produce a show for someone up in Oregon. I get a phone call from my friend who had a show on uh, that channel as well. He goes, dude, you're famous. You know, the California, you know, grape nuts and granola. I go, famous? What are you talking about? He goes, the U.S. Forest Service and the FBI were just here. They want to question you. I said, question me? What do they want to question me about? He said, they claim that you dug a, a hole on Mount Shasta that was 60 feet deep and 15 feet wide during the 4th of July weekend. <laughs> I said, well, no, I didn't dig it. I was in town at the time. I you know, I don't have digging equipment. I don't have a crane and all that stuff. So he goes, well, you know they're looking to talk to you about it. I says, well, give them my phone number. You know? I'm more than happy to help them. So I get a phone call the other day, and, and a fellow is researching this for his first movie. and He's got 11 minutes to film the movie. He says, I want to ask you about that. Did you dig the hole? I go, well, did you see the uh, the Art Bell uh, piece with Mel's hole? And I told him about it. I said, there was a hole that went 15,000 feet in his property, and the government confiscated you know, his property. And next thing you know, his, his life went to went, uh, living hell. I said, no, I didn't dig the hole. I'm not going to admit to something I didn't dig. I said, but I will tell you, that was all created because I was in town causing a big hoopla about an ancient civilization. So somebody went to the expense of digging this big hole on the back end of the mountain, and they wanted to pin it on, on Steffan-Sydoni. So I kind of cracked up, you know. And uh, So that was kind of interesting that I'll be doing uh, that movie with someone actually calling me back and saying, you know, I did all this research, and your explanation, explanation of this really fits Two years later, in 2011, I come back out with a film crew to Mount Shasta, and I hadn't met the film crew yet. So I contacted the, uh, I contracted the film crew, and I told them, you know, show up at the Cave Springs Motel, and at my expense, and so everybody's coming from all over California to to work on my project. So I get to the Cave Springs Motel about three o'clock in the morning. I go into my cabin, and I go out like a scout because I'm Traveling across country, when I get up in the morning, I'm sitting by the pool. It's about 12 noon, and my film crew is supposed to meet me by a uh, picnic area. So I'm sitting by uh, the pool, getting some sun for a couple of minutes, and all of a sudden, I hear two men approach me, and a uh, sheriff and a deputy from a uh, Dunsmere uh, police department. So the fellow says, "Are you stephen Doni?" I says, "I could be." I might be. I said, what do you want him for? <laughs> and so they says, well, he says, well, we're looking for him because uh, we heard he was on coast to coast talking about he was going to be you know, going on private property and uh, trying to break into some, uh, some basalt rock formation. I said, really? I said, did you hear the part where he said that he had permission by the elders of that religious uh, New Age group? To go on that property to actually see that rock, basalt foundation? Oh, I didn't hear that. I says, well, you, you better listen to it again. So the other cop says to me, he goes, what's your social security number? So I look at what? him and I says, I, I said, so I said, I don't remember it. I really don't know. I'm sitting here by the pool. He goes, he goes do you have your wallet? I says, no. I says, is it in my cabin? I said, I'm sitting by the pool. I didn't think I would need it. He says, Well are you Stefan Sindoni? I said, Well that depends. I says, what what is your your reasoning here? Do you have probable cause to stop me? I says, let me explain to you. I says, I have a film crew here, you know, that they're here for a movie. There's about a dozen people working, and yes I am Stefan. And I'm not going to show you my ID. You're on private property on the K Springs Motel, you have no business. Stopping me here by the pool. I haven't left the grounds of the property, which means you're violating my rights. I says, I'm going to go in and tell Louis, who owns the property, that if you guys take me out of here, there's 12 people that won't be able to stay here because I'm paying for their lodging and for their meals. And I don't appreciate you accusing me of doing something, and I haven't even left the property. He says, well, I just want to let you know, Don't go over there, because if you go over there, then they're going to arrest you. I says, well, thank you for warning me about that. I says, but you have no right coming in here and asking me, you know, who I am and all that. So the other guy says, well, are you Stefan?" I said, I guess you'll never know if I'm him or not, will you? So I never showed him any ID because he didn't give me probable cause, and I know my rights. So my rights were being violated. So after that, I went and told Louis, who uh, owns the K Springs Motel, about the sheriff who did that. He goes, "I know that guy." He goes, "I'm going to talk to him about that. That was wrong. What he did to you." So I stayed there for about a week, and the whole time we're filming, I got people following me all up and down Dunsmuir and uh, in Mount Shasta, trying to figure out what my film crew was doing. Now here we are. We're just making a documentary movie, but I get harassed all because. I'm asking the question, well I want to look around about for this ancient civilization. So someone doesn't want me either to go there or to even get on the internet to have a show where we could do on Skype so I could tell you these things. So I kinda of, kinda of find this humorous because what are they really afraid of? What could people really be afraid of? And and as I started the show, it's because the paradigm would shift. There's something that you can look it up. I don't know if you'll find it, but I found a piece years ago that President Grover Cleveland
1: signed Can you hold treaty. it right there, Stefan? Sure. Because we got to take another break, and let's hear about what uh, Grover Cleveland had to say when we come back. With Stefan Sandoni and Court Lindell, hang in there with us. <laughs>
4: Hey IRN listeners, make sure you tune in to Night Vision Radio with Renee Barnett. Renee will be exposing the truth one secret at a time. When? Thursdays. Every Thursday, 10:30 p.m. Eastern, 7:30 p.m. Pacific, where? Right here on IRN. Hello, everyone. Lorian Fenton here, host of the Cal.
0: Stop paying for uploads that aren't up to speed. Only Files gives you equal upload and download speeds. Click the banner to get 150 meg internet, TV, and phone for only $79.99 per month online for one year. Get Fios and harness the full power of the internet.
4: MUFON radio show asking if you'd like special access to exclusive and amazing information about UFOs, the paranormal and all things unexplained. If you're nodding yes then join IRN's Insider Club. As an Insider Club member you'll get an all access pass to premier Inception radio network content for only $4.99 a month. This includes live UFO and paranormal Conferences, live streaming UFO sky watches, exclusive IRN radio and TV productions, and of course, Paying Radio with MJ and Ken Storch. So don't wait any longer. Visit Inception Radio Network.com and click on Member Login to join IRN's Insider Club and get your VIP access today.
0: Hello, Inception Radio Network listeners. Did you miss a show? Well, guess what? You can check us out on YouTube. Go to YouTube and search Inception Radio Network to listen to the latest archives of all the shows on IRN. Another way to listen to us anywhere, anytime. For IRN, this is MJ. And oh, yeah, right, right. Remember to subscribe too. Hit the subscribe button. computer is your internet connection down don't worry use your trusty cell phone or landline and call into our listen line at 401-283-6700 to listen to the inception radio network 24 7 again that call in number is 401-283-6700 for the inception radio network i am mj you're locked into inception radio network superior wisconsin
1: To night vision radio, I'm your host Renee Barnett. If you're just joining us, we've been talking with Stefan Sindoni and his research and findings about the mysterious Mount Shasta. Along with us is Court Lindell, whose research dovetails in many ways with Stefan's uh, research, and they've been discussing that. And Stefan, you were talking to us about uh, something that Glover, Glover Cleveland said uh when we went to break, can you right, right. So was referring... what Yep, go right yeah. ahead. <laughs> what I was referring to is that
2: I was surprised to find an article and, and it wasn't out very long, but it was stating that the uh President of the United States, Grover Cleveland, signed a treaty with the people who lived under Mount Shasta. There is a treaty that can be found. So if somebody wants to research the Freedom of Information Act this, this treaty can be found. There is something that's been written with these people that are underneath Mount Shasta. So, you know, there's there's always a paper trail, and this paper trail does exist. I'm, I'm here to share that with you now.
4: Hmm.
3: Wow. Very, very interesting. That is interesting. Well, like interesting I said, I, I saved
2: the best for last. And I wasn't going to, you know, some things I wasn't going to talk about, but there were some things I said, you know, I got to share these things because I don't do very many interviews and uh, Court, you know that. And uh, but I like Court a lot and I admire him and I respect him. And after talking to him, I realized that for Renee to have him on so often that he was a real good guy to uh, to partner up with and that this information needed to be shared. So now I passed the baton on and and let people do it with it what they may but i'm here to tell you that change starts with us we need to make the change because people have been, been blowing smoke for a long time you know I went to school it was reading writing and arithmetic but then i found out it was to be conned controlled and it was to be conditioned and that's the part of it that i did not like someone to make my mind i want to make my own mind and make up my own thoughts and in the process, be able to help other people, you know, uh, evolve and be better, you know, uh, persons. That's just, you know, I'm in service to help others. And when I see people want to stop me from just being my my uh, kind self, I have a problem with that because here I am, not hurting anyone, not breaking any laws, and uh, usually giving people, not taking people. You know, taking from people, you know, giving people thousands of dollars to do things and just with the hope that they'll just do what I asked them to do. I was, uh, this is funny. I'm in uh, New York City, and there's a homeless guy, and uh, I gave him money. Amtrak policeman said to me, what are you doing giving him money? I go, excuse me? He goes, he's only going to buy crack with it. And I started laughing, crack. I said, I gave him a dollar. Where's he going to get crack for a dollar? (laughs) The officer officer thought I was a comedian. He goes, you're a comedian? I go, we in a former life. I did stand-up. I said, but that's not the (laughs) point. He goes, well, he's going to come into Penn Station there and lay there and, you know, get, you know, all silly on people with that dollar he's going to be. I said, look, I said, I can do whatever I want with my money. I said, would you not agree? <laughs> he looks at me. I says, I have a lot of money. I says, I could land on my wallet and not get hurt. I said, and I can give my money to whoever I want to give it to that's out on the street. I said, I'm part of the solution, guys. I'm not part of the problem, and he just looked at me, and like I just turned him into like a little whimper because I'm not going to back down. If I see somebody who, need, who needs help, I'm going to reach out my hand and help them, and when I see people that are there and they're supposed to be doing the job to help people, how do you protect and serve when you're profiling and harassing? I don't get it. Yeah, and so well, we you all watch
1: out now that now that everybody knows that you might be getting a lot of calls for help. I might be calling you tomorrow. Who knows? That's, that's fine. You know what? <laughs> I'm if, just you know teasing what? you.
2: If, if, if it's a good cause, if it's a good cause and it's good for both, oh, bosses, I got then all
1: kinds of causes. I got all kinds of oh. causes. <laughs> but the main <laughs> one is it's almost always me getting over to France.
2: <laughs> but I anyhow, you.
1: Well, you know now. Back to, if we could, because we're down to the last 20 minutes of the show, and I want to get back uh, to your Mount Shasta ideas and, and stories. And this idea of, you know, it, it seems like you always hear stories about the Cascade Mountains. I mean, it was, uh, you know, wasn't it the Cascade Mountains in 1947 when Kenneth Arnold first made that that sighting, the pilot, Kenneth Arnold, and it was uh, quite amazing. And that was yeah, even, that was, uh, that Mount, was like a month before Roswell. You know, mm-hmm, that, that was, was even, Mount,
2: Mount Rainier, yeah.
1: And it's so funny because I, I should have but didn't realize until I started uh, looking into your material uh, for the show, realized that, and I don't know why I didn't know that Shasta was part of that same mountain range and how far it extends. And, you know, there are some amazing mountains along that range. Uh, Mount Rainier itself is is quite amazing. Well, and I then, can
2: tell you, you know, what the Native Americans have told me. You know, the tall ones who uh, predate them, you know, uh, came out on yep. the bowels of those mountains, especially the deluge when the flood. So a lot of the Native Americans were taken in into the inner earth. And stayed there until the water subsided. I mean, I went down in Mount Adams and I was in Mount Adams camping. And it was probably about 11 o'clock at night when uh, I had a tall one just hover over my tent. And he had to be about eight and a half feet tall. My girlfriend was in the next tent and she actually saw him. And she, like, almost Peter Pan's. And she just was like frozen. And she was trying to call out to me, but she didn't do it. And the figure. Walked away from my tent and went like 20 feet down into the field there and just stood there. And then finally she said he just dematerialized. She didn't see him. So she saw me a couple of hours later and she was crying. She said to me, "Did you see him?" I go, "Yeah, I saw him. He was hovering over my tent and I opened the zipper and I grabbed the flashlight, but then he walked away." I said, "I thought it was a bear." And then I talked to the owner of the property. He says, "Yeah, uh, the tall ones." Uh, they live underneath the mountain here at Mount Adams, and they're known to come on our property. Now the dogs have heard them and everything, and a lot of people were aware of it, so like thirty of us on the property and so I well, realized Adams. that yeah. that that these tall ones do still exist, and uh, they 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 come out every every once once in a while. Native Americans have told me, you know everywhere I've gone in on the Pacific Northwest that uh, they, they're there to protect me. I'm like, how did you know I was coming? They go, we were in, in, in meditation and we were in uh, ceremony and uh, we were told that we were supposed to be here. I had made an American shake the rattle around me, you know, and come in when I'm, something's happening. In 20 minutes, that they're there in their car and they drive up and they go, you all right? And I'm saying like, how did you know? So there is a connection that I've had with these people and I love these people. Because I realize that they are our story. And if you look around all the world, and court has done this, if you look at all these ancient civilizations and their creation stories and how they got here and other star systems that you see on the History Channel, you start to see the big picture, that we are not alone in this universe.
1: Yeah, I I mean, definitely. It's it's funny, you keep... uh no matter how you try to steer your research away, it seems to always come back to, you know, something like that. And, um, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, how uh, we were programmed in school. And I think all of us, depending on where you grew up in the world, were programmed, you know, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally just by our surroundings. And so it's really nice to you know, be able to be one-on-ones, such as yourself and Court, who are able to sort of break out and start and look at things in your own way. And in doing so, you know, you start seeing new things. You start discovering things. It's just really, really exciting. And um, I know you guys have, have shared a lot of information among each other. And um, I think that's really great. Court and I have talked a lot about how You know, there are people all around the globe that are following their magnificent obsession. And there's so much information that no one person can put it all together. So it's so nice to be able to connect up with people. And someone's got that piece of the puzzle. Another person's got that piece of the puzzle. And uh, so we really appreciate the work that uh, both you guys are doing in uh, uh, getting this information out to the rest of us.
2: Well, I thank you very much for having me tonight, and I wanted to share the full, you know, uh, significance of this and and courts research because history has a way of repeating itself, good, bad, or indifferent. And if we don't realize that somebody's pulling the wool over our eyes, it's a confidence game, and they're going to keep going into our pocket, keep stealing and stealing and stealing until we finally had enough of it. But most people don't have the courage to to stand up and uh speak their mind or uh stop these people from doing what they're doing. They go, Well it's I'm, I'm only one person. Well no, one person can make a difference. I have millions of people that go to my YouTube channels and to the point where they stop my counters from working. So I proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that one person can make a difference because we're all connected, Renee. That's why court reached out to me and that's why you're on the phone with me and the people that are listening realize, you know, Stefan's right. We all are connected. There are two things that we have to learn. We have to learn how to love one another and we have to be in fellowship with each other because those are the two things that are going to get us through because no matter what happens, nothing is bad. It's just a matter of how we react to it. Is it lemons or is it lemonade? So what I've learned in life is to take everything in stride and let the creator you know, do the work for me. When it's too hard, you know, share the load. So, look, it's too much for me. I need some help here. Yeah. And guess what? You get help. Because people say, well, if you would have asked me, I would have helped you. So what I'm saying is when people need information, they'll know where to go to get that source or the sustenance that they need in order for them to grow. And we all want to grow and be better people. You know, so throwing people under the bus Is not nice because what is it? If you're going to do that, you might as well dig two graves, one for you and for the other person. And what does that say about you? So for me, I would rather raise the bar because I only get one chance possibly to make a first impression. So I might as well make that count. But the impression I wanted to make tonight is that we all need to trust but verify, to go the extra mile and not give someone the benefit of doubt all because they have a perfect smile and because they're popular the most popular person doesn't make the the best president as we all learned the most popular person isn't the sharpest tool in the shed (laughs) the person who might be the most qualified will never get the job because he's not in the network so what i'm saying is just be the best that you can be but understand what's happening around you and be aware i try to tell people to be the conscious observer to their own experiences in life and see things, what's really going on. And that's kind of what I've done with my my YouTube channels and what I try to express. There are many topics I can talk about, but the legend of J.C. Brown is one that, for me, has brought a lot of obstacles in my research of it. And I want to put this to bed, you know, and uh, I want to be able to get to the bottom of it, so to speak, and let people realize that there is something going on. Now and maybe collectively, you know, we all need to go out there and figure out what it is.
1: It, yeah, exactly. Now, is that what brought you to uh, you and Court to connect? Was that story, and because you oh, one of well, well, one court, of the court, other of you saw something?
2: Yeah, in well, it, Court, why don't you tell that, that that part of
3: it? Sure. I mean, really, when I when I. Saw Stefan's story. I I hadn't even made a lot of the connections uh, to Mount Shasta in the work I was doing. And then I found out about the Frenchman's Tower in Palo Alto and the pyramid of Joaquin Miller, who's another person that Stefan talks about in his research. So I saw all the crossover in the historical characters in the kind of scheme that I saw, you know, of a reputation or, or a, a evolution of, of places and architecture that leads to places like Mount Shasta, where this kind of man-in-the-mountain mythology is expressed. And the, the story of J.C. Brown obviously has lots of elements of that, uh, remains of people chambered in a mountain, kind of like the uh, central Rosicrucian theme of, you know, Christian Roisenkrantz entombed in an unknown mountain somewhere. So a lot of the, 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 that kind of story, in addition to, you know, I'm not saying it's not true or there's not anything to it at all, kind of infers that kind of mythology. And from seeing that, you know, in Charlemagne and this whole history from Constantine of uh, missing remains and mysteries being created as to where these are located, all the connections were there and what Stefan was saying. So and even, what about
1: the um the Saint Germain connection to Mount Shasta?
3: Did right. you all
1: Did you find that? Well
2: yeah, that, that's wall? what got Go me ahead.
1: Yeah, that that's what got me in trouble, the Saint Germain
2: Foundation. That's where uh that, that whole story all started because they that 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 group of people uh, wanted to have me arrested because they were having people going on their property looking for that basalt rock formation and uh they couldn't stop them. So they figured, well, they gotta stop me from Talking about it, I talked to members of that organization. They said to me, "You can be a member of organization. Just keep your mouth shut. You can't say anything what you learn here." So there's some secret society stuff. I said, "Well, look, you know, uh, information is to be shared with the world." They go, "No, you know, they're not ready for for this stuff." And then I realized, you know, that there was something you know sinister behind all that, and I just I couldn't be a part of that, so I didn't want to be a member of all that. But yeah, that that organization uh, is uh, trying to keep a secret. Of what you know, what goes on behind that uh, enclosure there, and behind those gates there, and a lot of right. people now are realizing, you know, it may, you know, that secret society may have uh, some information that they should be sharing with us.
3: Right. Well, yeah. what I found was interesting too is that the actual historical character of Saint Germain, uh, the Count of Saint Germain, is related to the Stuart family. You know, well, the you kings know of England. The Stuart and Scotland, kings, but, yeah. But this later well, relates, too, to the Hudson's Bay Company, who were the first people to come to Mount Shasta as well. Well, I, there's I all a kinds of the... Thing.
2: I got a quick little thing I want to interject. When I went up to uh, the um, Pacific Northwest, and I met with some Native Americans there, three different Native Americans with three different tribes told me that, do you know who's standing behind you? I go, oh, this said St. Germain. Now, I didn't know who St. Germain was. But three, on that weekend, three different tribe members said, let me see your hands then. And they looked at me. They said, well, we're here to protect you. One of them gave me a sweater. It was a sweater uh, with a wolf head on that, my protection sweater. So some of the videos, you might see me with a wolf head sweater. But St. Germain, uh, they said, was going to be with me for my trip from all the way up uh, in uh, Tacoma, all the way down to Shasta. So. I still have that sweater, and it's probably since 2009, and I have on my wall a photo I'm looking at right now of St. Germain. It says, his violet flame solution and formula. I am a being of violet fire. I am the purity God desires.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. (laughs) St. Germain connection all over the place.
2: I'm even wearing my purple shirt tonight, you know, in honor of my man. You know, and Did you say basically you had
1: a a, whore, a a a a wolf head sweater?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a. a Is that like sweater a sweater
1: with a picture of a wolf head on it, or? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I I just wanted to make sure it wasn't made out of a wolf head. That would not be good. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: no, no, no. It's actually knitted. It's knitted, and uh, it's. Uh, red and it's got a white wolf on there. Be- beautiful sweater. You know, oh, nice. And I, I, was, I was honored at the fact that you know that it was gifted to me. And, and that's why I love the Native Americans, because they're straight-up people. And uh, you realize that, you know, today, in today's day and age, I mean, I just have a problem with home of the brave and land of the free. Well, no, that's not true with 320 reservations in the United States and 280 in Canada. Let, let's get real. Yeah, you know, if I want to sell a piece of property and a house that I own, let's say, I have a title. Native Americans have land but no title to sell the land. So if they want to sell one small parcel, they couldn't do it. So, you know, you know people yeah. have to step up and realize that you know, while you're sitting home in your cushy apartment, you got all these things, you know. There are people out there that are being, you know, suppressed and whatever and there's one thing that bothers me now. We've got this pipeline that uh, South Dakota pipeline is going to, you know, pipe oil all the way through the United States up into Canada. But what I keep getting is the Gulf Gulf, uh, Coast disaster with the oil that was in uh, the bay there in Florida. And there's about 22 million people that live near the Missouri River or the Mississippi that once this pipeline is completed... It's only going to take one oil spill for all those yeah. Native American peoples who live in the, and that's part of the country to become like dinosaurs and buffalos extinct. And I just want to share with the people out there that this is real. You know, these are our brothers and sisters. And if we allow stuff like this to happen, what does it say about us? Have we evolved? You know. So that's the question that I ask.
1: Well, I'm with you on that D- Dakota Pipeline thing, and I think uh, a lot of people are, too. And, you know, it was interesting because you talked about, you know, the the, the, the glacier water in, in Shasta. You talked about Shasta Springs, and there always seems to be something about the water, doesn't there? I don't know, but, you know, of well, there course, is. that's the big, that's the big well, worry with the pipeline.
4: You.
1: But it seems well, to people, me like there's a lot of yeah. uh, sort of buying up of these deep aquifers as well. And, well, they're
2: doing that in South America. In certain countries, they're buying I mean, up water the water. Whoever controls the
1: water, you know, controls life. and that That's is, exactly uh, right. that is kind of weird. But, uh, yeah, well, uh, at well, Dakota in Shasta, Parkline, I
2: don't know what we're going to do about that. In Shasta, the life the life expectancy, the people who drink the Shasta water, they're about 90 to 100 years old, the people that actually live in Dunsmere there. You know, in the city, like Shasta City Water, you have the glacier waters that come out up the mountain. The people go to... Mount Shasta City Park, and they bring their little you know jugs and containers, and they get all their water out of the Sacramento River there at the beginning where the river starts there. So uh, that water does, does definitely has medicinal purposes to it, and if you've got ailments, you've got arthritis or things you know not right, it'll get you very, very healthy really, really quick.
1: Right. Yeah, there's something uh, something really interesting about water, that's for sure. I think there's a lot more to be right. discovered. Of course, there's a lot of great people working on that, too.
4: Well, it's but, quote, interesting pretty, that... that, we, that we're,
1: we're getting so close to the end of the show. I, want, I don't want you guys to go without telling everyone, you know, how to get all your material. Court, why don't you go first? And um, how do we get your videos, your books,
3: right, all that good right. stuff? Well, I'm at uh, survivalcell.blogspot.com. And there's links to all my books there, and uh, of course I'm on Facebook, and I have uh, pages for all my books and videos there as well, and you can see me on Court all on the on YouTube.
1: Cool, and Stefan,
2: I'm going to keep it simple. Uh, just go to my says dot com site. There's over 600 videos there for people to watch, and there's a link page that links to. Uh, Over a half a dozen sites that I have, other websites and YouTube sites where they can watch more videos. And I have uh, on that site there's a, a blog post there. I have a web store on my my site. I'm also offering free information, free books that people can get. And anybody who posts to one of my blogs will get a free copy of one of my books. Right, I just wrote a book called Below the Radar, talking about what Edward Snowden didn't tell you. So if you go ahead and post to my blog, I will send you a free com- complimentary copy. If you you post to my Know Your Rights, I'll send you that form that I talked about. And uh, I'm into giving. I'm I'm I, I'm not one uh, who doesn't give. I like I give. I like receiving, but I'm I'm more into giving. So if someone goes to my site and they find so something we, that they want.
1: Sendoni, if we go to Sendoni, dot the the links to your other sites are there. Yes. Oh, great. And Court, just real quick, you were going to make a point about the water and I cut you off.
3: Oh, it's okay. Uh, Yeah, that 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 whole issue is interesting, too, because I had linked, uh, you know, Henri V, the exiled king of France to the Frenchman's Tower. And uh, even both the uh, Nestle plants that were uh, recently turned down at Mount Shasta and here near where I live uh, were uh Desley's associated with the artoy family so that's and very you interesting said,
1: and in the the frenchman's tower was built by the same guy that built uh, tour magdala in right chateau, right France. well
3: society perios <laughs> there uh, speculates that the duke de chambord's family were the uh, force that donated the money and even to father Saunier there at Grand Le chateau and built the tour Dang. magdala and, so he, Too many I suspect that he built, Sorry,
1: sorry right. to interrupt, but the music's rolling. We'll run all out of time. Stephen Sandoni and Court Lindell, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Hope you'll come back again.
2: Well, uh, yeah, I, I'd like to come back and talk this yeah. time about another topic about uh, the Hollow Earth and uh, about uh, other legends.
1: Good night, everybody.
0: Cable only gives you upload speeds that are a fraction of their downloads. Only Fios gives you equal upload and download speeds. Click the banner to get 150 meg internet, TV, and phone for only $79.99 per month online for one year. Get Fios and harness the full power of the internet.